Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. We've been reading in Hebrews 7. Just keep your Bibles open there because that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. Uh, I hope you're all enjoying the snow. Maybe you don't like the snow. Uh, I love it. Can't wait to get home to build a snowman. Uh, that's not a joke. That's actually true. That's what I plan to do this afternoon. Um, we're, we're working our way through this series in Hebrews called Jesus is Better. Uh, we called it Jesus is Better because that's the overarching theme of this book. I'll, I'll give you, a, again, our, our wee kind of summary of this entire book, which is this, that, that Hebrews is designed to leave us with no doubt that Jesus Christ is ultimately and completely superior to everything that came before him, and so we should push deeper into our relationship with him and not fall away. In this section, uh, just to kind of uh, help us see where we are in the whole book, in this section, in chapters 5 to 7, uh, the, the author's focus is on Jesus as our priest. Jesus is our better priest. Um, he's better than all the Old Testament priests that came before him. Uh, and, and we've been using chapter 7 in particular over the past two weeks, and this week to today as well, to answer this fundamental question, the most fundamental question we as human beings can ask, which is, how do we draw near to God? This idea of drawing near to God is, is throughout this whole chapter, right? And, and this is what we've been trying to figure out. And the, and the original audience, the Hebrews, the, these Jewish Christians, they would, have had no, um, they would have had no problem accepting that they needed to draw near to God, and they would have no problem accepting that they needed a priest, um, it's a little bit different for us because we're not really used with the idea of priests. And, and, and like I said a couple of weeks ago, even if you uh, grew up in a, in a Roman Catholic tradition, uh, the idea of priest there is completely different than, than the idea of priest in, in the Old Testament. We need someone who can bring us to God because we are born in separation from God. We remember we saw Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. He, uh, Isaiah 59 verse 2, that, that our iniquities have made a separation between us and our God and have hidden his face from us. And so we need to be brought close to God because without him, the one who creates life, the, 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 the one who is the origin of life, we are destined for death. And not just physical death, but eternal death and eternal separation from him. And I was thinking about it this week um, because maybe I haven't done a good enough job explaining this and I want to be really clear. Um, the problem is that we have no way on our own to get close to God. Um, I was thinking about, it'd be a bit like me if I went to London and climbed up and rattled on the gates of Buckingham Palace and said, I want to come in and see the Queen. Like, I'd, I'd probably get tackled or, you know, maybe not. You know the guys with the big hats? I always imagine they're like the pretend guards, but there's like real, like, you know, like SAS dudes ready to jump out at you. Um, I don't know, but I imagine I wouldn't get in to see the Queen. I have no right to be there. That's like us when we try to approach God. We need an invitation. We need a mediator. We need someone who can bring us into his presence. And Hebrews chapter 5 to 7 are explaining to us that Jesus is our way into God's presence, our way to, to be reconciled into good relationship with him again. Jesus is our, our priest. And not only that, he's our better priest. He's better than any other person or religious experience or uh, practice that we would try to use in, in order to come close to God. Jesus is the only way to God. And, and all the way through Hebrews chapters 5 to 7, that's what the, the, the author of Hebrews has been, been driving home. And this week, in this final section, these, these eight verses that we read, 
um, he, he focuses on the application of that. What I mean is that he, he answers this question, what does it mean for Jesus to be our priest? He's been convincing them that, that Jesus is our priest. Now, what does this mean? What does this actually mean? And here's what it means. It means that Jesus guarantees, continues, and completes our salvation. Let me say that again, because we're just going to work our way through that sentence today. Jesus guarantees, continues, and completes our salvation. So firstly, let's see uh, that Jesus guarantees our salvation. I'm going to just reread certain verses as we go through, because I I think that helps keep it fresh in our minds and we see where we are in the text. Just so you know as well, I'm not making stuff up. (laughs) That's actually coming from the Bible. Um, Let's read verses 20 to 22 again. This is what it says. And it was not without an oath. So the it. And it was not without an oath that, that Jesus became our priest, okay? For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. So the Old Testament priests, they inherited the priesthood. They were just given it. They didn't, there was no one swore an oath. Verse 21, but the one, this one, Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Uh, This week, Haley has been uh, decorating our kids' room um, and, you know, painting and getting new beds and all that kind of stuff. And just seeing the empty room like that, it made me think about all the houses I've lived in over the years, especially some of my student houses. Now, maybe student accommodation now is really nice, or maybe I was, I didn't know I was just a pig, but some of the places I lived in were absolute, like complete dives, right? Uh, one of them, one of my student houses uh, off the Lesburn Road, you, it was just, the kitchen was infested with slugs, right? So you couldn't walk in the kitchen on your bare feet because you just stand the slug. One time I dropped a piece of a kebab on the floor and went to pick it up and actually picked up a slug. So that's how bad it was. Uh, another house, uh, there was a hole in the wall because, I mean, someone was wrestling. I don't know who, but somebody was wrestling and somebody's head went through the wall and there was a hole in the wall and it just stayed there. Uh, in that same house we had, um, we used to play this game called Stair Cricket which is just cricket on the stairs. So somebody would stand at the top of the stairs. I don't know why we, the batter was at the top of the stairs. and Someone would, would try to bowl up the stairs. But the window beside the front door got broken, and we never, it never got fixed. We just taped over it with sellotape, sellotape, like, come on. And it was just freezing, just complete dives. And we like, just did not treat these houses with any measure of respect whatsoever. And the crazy thing about all, the, all these student houses is that, that my poor mother had no idea how badly I treated these places. Uh, and, and maybe she'll watch this or listen to this, in which case, I'm sorry, Mom. Um, and the reason it's important for her is because as well as my name being on the dotted line, her name was also on the contract. You see, when, when, when you rent a house, you, you need a guarantor. You need somebody who will pay the rent if you can't. A guarantor is somebody who takes on all the risk on somebody else's behalf, right? And in the case of my long-suffering mother, she had to put herself in a position where she would have had to pay what I owed if I had found myself in a position unable to pay it. This is what a guarantor is. A guarantor promises to pay what is owed on behalf of somebody else at great cost to themselves. 
A guarantor is the, is the personal guarantee that the promise of a contract will be fulfilled no matter what. And it's this term this, that the author of Hebrews uses to describe the Lord Jesus, right? In verse 20, 22, he says, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. And next week, I think Alan is going to come and preach for us in Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll probably see more of what this new covenant actually is. But, but for now, we can simply understand it as this. It's God's promise to save his people. That's a really, really rudimental way of understanding what the God's covenant is. And under the old covenant, God promised to save his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt and bring them into the land of promise where, where they could, could lay, enjoy, live and enjoy the land and enjoy God and, and live under his, his peaceful and gracious and loving rule. And this promise was, was overseen by the priests through sacrifices and through cleansing rituals and purification rites. But now, under the, the, the new covenant, the promise isn't just for the Jewish people. It's not just for one nation. It's for all people. This is why it's a better covenant. This better covenant is God's promise that any person, man, woman, or child, from, from not just one nation, but from all nations, anyone who, who repents and, and puts their trust in Jesus will receive eternal life and enter into God's eternal land of promise forever. And Jesus, Hebrews says is the guarantee that that promise will be fulfilled no matter what. Jesus steps in and pays our unpayable debt on our behalf at great, great cost to himself. It was as if, you know, it was as if your name was on the, on the rental agreement, on the rental contract, and you're standing there before the landlord, who just so happens to be the Lord of hosts, not just the landlord, but like imagine the landlord of the whole universe, and your bank account is empty, your credit card's maxed out, you've got no money in your pockets, and you say, I've got nothing to pay. And Jesus steps in and says, that debt is mine. That's not your debt, that's my debt. I'm the guarantor, I pay this debt. Whatever the cost, no matter how high the cost, I will pay it gladly because I am the guarantee of the promise that God made to these people who I love so, so very much. No wonder that Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, we actually sing a song with these words in it. It says that for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. All God's promises to save his people are fulfilled through Jesus. And I was thinking about this, and, and what's really, really incredible about this is that God made this promise to us, right? Uh, he didn't have to. He chose to make the promise to us, to save us, and, and, and bring us into right relationship with Him, and, and bring us into good standing with Him, and, and restore and reconcile that relationship, knowing that we would be with Him. And He, he promised to do that, knowing full well what the cost would be. God, God wasn't unaware of what the cost would be. He wasn't making an agreement with us, knowing that we would somehow be able to pay our debt. He knew that we would, he knew that we would default on that debt and that a guarantor would have to step in. God made the promise of salvation to us, knowing that it would cost him his son, knowing that it would mean that Jesus would have to sacrifice his own life 
And still, he made the promise. He made it gladly. In fact, he swore an oath. Now, we all know, and we've covered this in Hebrews chapter 6, which was, I mean, way back in November before Advent. But, but there we talked about the fact that the God, uh, God doesn't have to swear an oath. When, when God says something, it's done. It happens. God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. But God swears an oath for our behalf because he knows of our uh, tendency and propensity just to, to, to go back on our word. And he swears this oath. He makes this promise. Verse 21, verse 21, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, speaking about Jesus, you are a priest forever. Now, you know what this is? What this verse is saying? This is God making an unbreakable promise to save us at the cost of his own son and putting his son in eternal servitude to the very people that cost him his life. Let, let, let me say that in another way. God promised to save us knowing that it would mean that Jesus would have to be sacrificed and after that, Jesus would spend forever serving us as our priest, bringing us to God. This is amazing grace, isn't it? The sacrifice and the servitude of Jesus. Please, listen, please, please don't ever think for a second that you have even one tiny thing to do with your salvation because that's just simply not true. Jesus saves us and then spends forever serving us as our priest. Normally, uh, we see this the other way around, don't we? That if, if somebody, uh, you know, if, if I save somebody's life, then they might be indebted to me, you know. Uh, like during Christmas holidays, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was on TV. Seen that movie? Classic, classic. I mean, Kevin Costner's a bit dodgy, upstaged by Alan Rickman, the supreme baddie. But uh, at the start of that movie, Robin Hood's in the Middle East, and he saves Azim. Azim's uh, the, the, the Muslim dude who's in the prison with him, and he's going to be executed, and, and Robin Hood saves him. And so Robin, uh, Azim follows him all the way back to England because he says, look, you saved my life. I owe you a debt, and I'm going to serve you and protect you and be loyal to you until I pay that debt. But with Jesus, it's the other way around. Jesus saves us and he pays our debt. Jesus, Jesus saves us and pledges to serve us as our priest, interceding for us forever. God promised and Jesus is the guarantee. Do you see how this works? God promised and Jesus is the guarantee that that promise will be fulfilled no matter what. I wonder if you've uh, ever broken a promise to anybody? Um, I'm sure you have. Most of us have, especially when we're kids or when we're young, because back then, we, we, we don't know the value of our words. And, and hopefully as we grow and mature, we, we learn the value of words and we're not so quick to say, I promise. Um, I remember when I was a young man and, and in one of those dodgy student houses, I borrowed money off a friend and uh, one of my housemates, and, and, he, and he said, look, I, I want to help you, I'll, I'll lend you the money, but I need it back by the end of the week. And I said, I promise you'll get it back by the end of the week, knowing full well that I could not fulfill that promise. And to my shame, I, I broke that promise. I made the promise in bad faith to begin with. Maybe you've done something similar. Or maybe you've had somebody break a promise to you. It hurts, doesn't it? 
In fact, just take a second to think about how much pain is caused to human beings through broken promises, through, through unkept words, through covenants that aren't fulfilled. Maybe someone promises not to tell anybody what you've confided in them, a, a, a personal insecurity or a personal situation, and they say, I promise I won't tell anyone. And then they break that confidence and, and, they, and they share what you didn't want shared. That hurts, doesn't it? It causes pain when, when someone lets you down in that way. Or think about uh, marriage, a marriage promise, a marriage covenant that's broken. I promise I will forsake all others. That's the promise you make when you get married. And then they have an affair or they, they, they cheat on you with someone else. Betray your, betray your trust. Betray that love. Betray that promise. I promise that till death parts us, I, we will be together. And then one day, they walk out. Broken promises cause nothing but, but pain and suffering. And, and we're so, so good at breaking promises, aren't we? We're so good at breaking promises. Maybe not in, in drastic ways as I've just mentioned there, but, but, but we all certainly have the capacity for that. And we all certainly break promises in smaller ways all the time. But here's what I'm here to tell you, that, that, that God never breaks His promises. Jesus never lets you down. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises to us. And, and so we don't have any reason, uh, not even for a second, to have one sliver of doubt. That doesn't mean that we won't doubt, because we all doubt, don't we? We all, we all, we all doubt. We, we doubt that God loves us. We doubt that we're worthy. We, do, we doubt that we're really saved. Just this week, as I was preparing this sermon and trying to think through some of this stuff on, on Thursday, and I, I, was saying to, I was saying to John on the phone or whatever, like, uh, it's just, I, I just had it one of those days where, where nothing was coming, and, and it was almost like uh, I was just so full of doubt that I couldn't, I couldn't write this sermon. I couldn't think about this stuff. I, sure, look at all the sin in, 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 in my life. How, how, could I, how could I be a preacher? Are you really sure that God loves you? Think about that stuff. Even as I was coming up with that analogy of, of breaking my promise about the money, then suddenly that starts to compile the doubt and the doubt. Uh, you've, you've done all this stuff in your life. How could you really be saved? It happens to all of us. We doubt our salvation. We doubt if God really loves us. We doubt if we're worthy. We doubt if we're good enough. And what I want to say is this, and I want to say it as I want to say this carefully and, uh, because it's a sensitive subject. And, and there are some Christian teachers who, who would say that doubt is a good thing, who would say that, that, that it's a healthy part of our faith. They, they would even say that it's necessary. And I don't believe that's true for a second. Here's what I want to say. Doubt is normal, but it is not necessary. Doubt is normal, but it is not necessary. If you, if we've been given so much to show us that we need not doubt, God has sworn and will not change His mind that, that Jesus is a priest forever, that Jesus is the guarantee of our better covenant. And if you do find yourself doubting from time to time, I please don't feel bad about that. This is this is normal. This is this is who we are as sinful and broken people. 
And I'm not telling you that it, it, when you experience doubt that you're a bad person for feeling that way. But what I do want to do is, is encourage you that you don't need to stay that way. In those moments of doubt, we can be reassured by this, that, that God has promised and Jesus has guaranteed. We just sang it, didn't we? I mean, I was back there off the camera, you couldn't, and I, was, I just had my hands up just singing that, like, all my fears and doubts, they can all come too because they can't stay long when I am here with you. We have, no, we have no reason to doubt because not only has God promised and Jesus guaranteed, Jesus has followed through. He's actually done it, right? He's actually fulfilled the promise. And so when you find yourselves in times of doubt, listen to the promises of God and know that he cannot change his mind. Don't, don't, don't dwell on, on your own thoughts and what the devil's trying to, the lies that he's trying to feed you. Go to his word and, and hear his promises again. Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. In those times of doubt, just look at the cross and see the proof of God's love for you. Just look at the empty tomb and see the proof of his salvation for you. Doubt is normal, but it is not necessary. Jesus guarantees our salvation. Secondly then, Jesus continues our salvation. I'm going to read again. We're going to read the next little chunk, verses 23 to 25. It says this, The former priests, that means the, the priests of the Old Testament system, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So all these priests were, were just normal dudes and they all died, right? And so eventually, if you die, that's a pretty good reason to leave your job, right? Um, Verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. If you, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, go back. We talked a lot about the fact that Jesus is alive and he remains alive and he will forever be alive. Verse 25, almost got a cut up into that again. <laughs> Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is this saying? Really, as simply as I can put it, it's saying that because Jesus lives forever and lives forever in this role as our priest, we never have to worry that our salvation is running out, right? We never have to worry that he has stopped caring for us. We never have to worry that he's not listening to us. We never have to worry that he's forgotten about us. We never have to worry that he has turned his back on us. Jesus never stops being our priest. Over the course of history, um, the Israelites had, had loads and loads of priests. And I, I, I was trying to do some research around this. Um, this is one of the rabbit holes. I, I often get sucked down rabbit holes when I'm doing sermon prep. Um, this is one of the rabbit holes this week. was like, how many priests were there in the history of Israel from, uh, from the time of the tabernacle, from Aaron, Moses' brother, right through to the, the end of the second temple in AD 70, right? That's what I was trying to work out. How many high priests and how many priests? And, and they, some people have done some calculations um, but anyway, it's a lot. <laughs> there are tons of these guys, right? And high priests, there were high priests, and then there were other priests who served in the temple. Starting with Aaron, Moses' brother, he was the first one. But then eventually he died, and then his son became the priest. And then he died, and then his son became the priest. And so on, and so on, and so on it went. This continual flow of temporary 
priests who, who always died. Um, unless you've been living in a cave this week, in which case, I don't know how you're watching this, but um, unless you've been living in a cave this week, that you'll see the news has been dominated by, um, by a, a new president in America, right? And, and the truth is that um, some of you will be very happy about that. And others of you will have your reservations about that. And others of you will be upset about that. But here's the thing. Presidents come and go. Monarchies come and go. Even though the Queen of, of the UK, she's been around for a really long time. But she will go someday. hope that's not treason to say that, is it? Have I just incriminated myself in some way? Prime ministers and administrations come and go. A continual stream of temporary human representatives who all come and go. But here's what you need to take to heart this morning. That Jesus never goes away. His kingdom is forever. His priesthood is forever. Um, our, our spiritual experience, if you like, to put it that way, our, our relationship with God, our, our, our communion with Jesus... It ebbs and flows, doesn't it? But Jesus' care towards us is constant. We're going to have good days full of faith and, and trust and obedience. And we'll have bad days full of, like me, most of my days, full of, of, of doubt and fear and disobedience. But no matter how much we change, no matter how much we go up and down, our, our, you, know, like, you know me, I'm, I'm emotional. Life with me is an emotional roller coaster. I'm up and I'm down from one day to the next. I'm here and there. But Jesus never changes. Jesus' care for me is not dependent on how I feel about him on any given day. His priesthood is constant. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus that gave himself up to die on the cross is the same Jesus who sits in heaven right now praying for you. And so we can just be confident. He would just be confident knowing that he always loves us. He always cares for us. He always helps us. He always prays for us. He always has patience with us. He is always gentle towards us. He's always compassionate towards us. He never, ever changes. I had to call my GP the other day, uh, just about something minor. Um, and, and it's a big surgery, right? And there's quite a few doctors that work there, and it's busy. And there's always this thing, it's like, well, when you phone up, you're like, oh, which doctor am I going to get to see? Uh, if it's some person, I don't want like a lady, I shouldn't say things like that. I don't want like a lady doctor, you know, examine me or whatever. You know, you want the right doctor. And you're really like, who am I going to get this time? And that's great. I love the NHS, and I'm very thankful that I can do that. Um, but with Jesus, right, I don't have to worry about who am I going to get this time. We don't have to worry. Jesus is always there. Jesus is forever. He will not come and go. He is our priest forever. And, and listen, no matter how turbulent the relationships in your life have been, no matter how much you've been let down, or no matter how much you've been the turbulent one and let other people down, there is one person who will never, ever let you down. Jesus Christ is our priest forever. Verse 24 says that, that he holds his priesthood permanently. Now, this word permanently has actually two meanings, right? 
firstly, it means what we think it means. It means it's forever, okay? It, it, it lasts forever. It's, it's eternal. And we've covered that so much in the last two weeks, that Jesus keeps on being our priest. And even when, whenever he comes and sets up his glorious kingdom forever and we'll be with him, he will still be our priest, still pointing us towards the Father, still declaring that we're here on his merit alone. But the other thing, the other meaning of the word permanent here is that it's unchangeable, Right? It's untransferable. It can't be given to someone else, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't, you know, when he gets tired, like, like tap out and get someone else to come in for a while, or it's not the end of a day and he hangs up his apron and goes home. That's, that's not, there is no night shift with Jesus. There's no B team. He has saved us. He is saving us. And he will continue to save us until one day he does return and make the whole world his kingdom where we will reign with him in peace and joy and contentment and forever. And until that day, we know that he is constantly praying for us. Listen, I need you to hear this this morning. And maybe you need, to, I, we all need to hear about, but my feeling is that there's some of us that really need to hear this this morning. Three words, Jesus has you. Jesus has you. And he will keep you, no matter how dark or desperate or hopeless the situation is for you right now. You can be reassured that Jesus has you. He holds you. He'll never let you go. He is in you and you are in him and nothing can ever separate you from him. When, when God calls you to himself and you put your trust in him, you become engrafted into him. Have you ever seen, uh, have you ever seen like a tree that has a fence grown into it? Have you ever seen that? It's, it's fascinating. We're like a piece of metal going right through a tree. This is what it's like when, 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 when we trust in Jesus. We are engrafted into him. We become inseparable from him. Nothing can ever, ever separate you from him. He has you. His priesthood is permanent. Our salvation is permanent. Sometimes we, we think of salvation like, oh, you know, I hope I can make it. You know, I hope I do get to make it to heaven. But, but salvation isn't some risky rescue plan, Right? Remember those kids that were trapped in the, in, the, in the caves? Where was that? In South America somewhere. And they had to go in and, like, caving experts go in and get them out. And it was a really risky plan. They had to, there was a lot of trust that had to go into the, the, the cavers that went down there and the divers and all this kind of stuff. That's not what it's like with Jesus. I was thinking about this really hilarious um, episode of The Simpsons where uh, Homer, uh, actually it's very sweet because he, 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 he jumps this canyon on a skateboard because he doesn't want his son to have to do it because of the danger. That's very sweet. But of course he falls. And it's really funny because he's bouncing the whole way down. He's hitting his head off the side and he's getting really badly injured. It sounds horrible. It's funny. It's a cartoon. And then uh, the, the helicopter comes to rescue him. He's on the stretcher. And the whole way up, he's like banging off the side and getting hurt. And then they put him in the ambulance and the ambulance drives off and smashes into a tree. And of course he falls out the back and bounces all the way down the canyon again. It's really, really funny. But this is not the kind of rescue that we have in Jesus. It's complete. It's good. It's guaranteed. It's secure. We don't have to worry if, if we'll make it to heaven. We don't have to worry if we're going to get to the end. We really will get to heaven. Jesus is saving us right now. 
I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say like, well, you know, I'd like to be a Christian, but I just couldn't keep it. I was thinking about it this week. I remember in school, when I was back in school, maybe I was like 14 or something. I think it was Maz one day. Probably Maz, because that's where I did a lot of my talking, right? I, I, you might imagine I, I was pretty talkative in school. I wouldn't say disruptive, but I wasn't very quiet during classes, if you know what I mean. I was always chattering away and doing stuff. Um, but, but I don't know, the conversation came up, and I had probably sheepishly revealed that I was a Christian. And, and this guy said, yeah, I'd... I'd Ah, uh, you know, I, I think I'd like to be a Christian, but I just couldn't keep it. And I was thinking about him over the past few days, and I was thinking I would love to go back and, and just tell him that, that you don't have to keep it because he keeps you. You don't have to keep your salvation because in your salvation, Jesus keeps you. There's this guy on the news this week, and he had... Uh, he had lost a hard drive that had millions and millions and millions of, of pounds worth of Bitcoin on it. And, and he was get, trying to get permission. He threw it in the bin. He was trying to get permission from the council to, to go to the dump. And, and so he could search through all this rubbish to find this hard drive, right? Um, I, I, it seems like an impossible task, but I guess if it was worth like 100 million pounds, you would give it a go. Um, our salvation is not like this. It's not like you've got a winning lottery ticket and then you lose it and suddenly you've lost all the money. Our salvation, it's like the, the, the money is already in our bank account to its all its fullest. And one day we will receive it and walk in that in all its fullest. Jesus is our representative forever. He is our permanent priest who prays for us forever. He has guaranteed our salvation. We are being saved and we will receive our full inheritance in him. And the truth is that, that none of us could keep our own salvation. None of us could, could live a, a Christian life on our own. Think about how much you sin, even though you do have the Holy Spirit living in you and you do have Jesus constantly praying for you. How much worse would it be if you had to do this on your own? Neither the, neither the, the saving nor the, the, the continuation of being saved is anything that's down to you. The Hebrews were facing this temptation to, to, to give up on Jesus. They were facing opposition because of, of they, their Christianity. And they were beginning to wonder, look, should we pack this all in? Maybe we're better off going back to their old ways. And listen, we all know how this feels, don't we? The temptation to give up. The temptation to give in. I, I know... You, you might think it's not the same for, 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 for me and, and John and Alan as pastors up here. To, listen, can I tell you, it's exactly the same. The temptation to give up, the temptation to give in, the question, and is this really real? The temptation to, to crumble under the pressure of opposition, the temptation to listen to conspiracy theories, the temptation to put your faith in a political leader or to lose hope when someone gets elected or doesn't get elected. The temptation is real for all of us, but listen to this. There is not one temptation that we face, not one trial that we go through, that Jesus doesn't walk through with us, seated at the right hand of God, praying on our behalf. And whatever it is you're going through or facing this morning, Jesus has you and he's praying for you. He has saved you and he continues to save you day by day. Now you might ask, well, how does Jesus pray for us? Because I know what my prayers are like, <laughs> and they're pretty feeble, I'll be honest. 
I know there's some people we're gifted with really good prayers in our church. Some like, you know, like old school, like prayer warriors. And, and we're so thankful. And I think that's a spiritual gift. And the church needs people like you. Um, but I know for me, my prayers are feeble. Um, I'll sometimes go for a walk to pray. I think I'll go for a walk by the river, and it's really nice. And I start off really good, right? I'm praying, and then I, like, see a dog or a bird or a tree or a duck or a whatever, and my mind wanders and thoughts creep in. Or, or I get tired praying. Have you ever fallen asleep praying? Or sometimes, if we're honest, we just don't pray. But this is not Jesus. That's not like the prayer life of Jesus. Jesus doesn't get tired. Jesus doesn't fall asleep. He doesn't forget to pray. You see, Jesus' contact with the Father is never broken. He's in constant communion and communication with the Father, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, millennia by millennia, constantly praying for the people that He loves and died for. Our prayers might be feeble, but not His. He takes our feeble prayers and and He cleans them up and He presents them perfectly to the Father. Uh, St. Chrysostom uh, in the 4th century, look him up, St. Chrysostom, um, he he gave this helpful analogy which I think helps explain this. There was a boy, a wee boy, and his dad was away on a trip. And he heard that his dad was coming back and, and he wanted to do something nice for his dad to, to welcome him home. And so he, he went out in the garden and he, he, he picked a bunch of flowers, all these flowers. And he came in and gave them to his mom and said, look, I've got this bunch of flowers for dad when he gets home. And of course, he's a wee boy. And so it's full of weeds and grass. There are some flowers in there and it's just not nice at all. And the mom, she takes out the weeds and she takes out the grass and, what, and arranges the flowers in this beautiful bouquet so that, so that when the dad gets home, what is presented to him from the son is this beautiful bouquet of flowers to say, welcome home, dad. This is how Jesus prays for us. He's acutely aware of your needs and he presents them perfectly to the father. I lo- this is one of my favorite things about Jesus because sometimes you ever, you ever get your, such a place that all you can muster as a prayer is, Lord, I don't know what to pray, but help me. Oh man, that's, I love that Jesus does this for me because I'm so terrible at praying. And you know what? Jesus takes that prayer and he presents it perfectly and he pleads it perfectly before the Father, before God Almighty on your behalf. This is how Jesus is our priest. This is how he always lives to intercede for us. This is how he continues our salvation. Jesus has saved us. He is saving us. And one day, he will bring our salvation to completion. And that brings me on to our last point. I'm just going to get a wee drink. Jesus guarantees our salvation. He continues our salvation. And also, Jesus completes our salvation. Last three verses, verses 26, 28. Let's read it here. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Fitting not because we deserved it, but because we needed it, okay? Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like all those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men and their weakness 
as high priests. But the word of the oath, that promise that we talked about earlier, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is like no other priest in history. We've already seen this, and hopefully you've got a good picture of what that means right now. He has no sin. He lives forever. He's appointed by God, just like Melchizedek. He's appointed by God, not by his family line. But there's another reason why he's our better priest. You see, here we see that Jesus is both priest and sacrifice. In fact, we can go one step further than that. We can say that Jesus is our perfect priest and our perfect sacrifice. Jesus is our perfect priest and our perfect sacrifice. Now, imagine you're an Israelite around the year 1300 BC. Uh, so you've, you've left Egypt. You've been wandering in the desert. You got the, 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 you're in the wilderness with all your people. The camp is set up. Nearly two million people, tents all in rows, arranged around the big tent, the tabernacle, right in the middle of the camp. And you're preparing for the Day of Atonement. The day when, the day once a year, when the high priest will carry out the sacrifices that will guarantee that your sin is forgiven. And you know, right? You know in your heart that you've done some things in the last year that you need forgiveness for. Some things that are against God that you need forgiven for. And the only hope that you've got is the priest and the sacrifice. Now imagine the sense of, of nervousness you would have and trepidation. Oh man, I, I hope he does a better job than last year. See whenever, he, see whenever he dropped that goat? I hope he doesn't do that this year. Or I hope he's been doing his daily sacrifices and keeping himself pure and clean. I really need my sin taken care of here. I hope he's kept himself pure. You see, if the priest isn't right, the sacrifice isn't right. But this worry is completely removed with Jesus. His character is perfect. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices for himself because he has no sin. And verse 26 gives us, gives us a list of his characteristics. He is holy, just like God. He has the holiness of God because he is God. He is innocent, unstained. This means that he hasn't committed any sin and he isn't born in sin like we are. He's separated from sinners, not in the sense that he doesn't know our weakness or is aloof or removed from us, but in the sense that even though he lived among us and became one of us, he wasn't contaminated by our sinfulness. He was tempted to sin, yes, but he never sinned. And he's exalted above the heavens. He is God himself. He is exactly the kind of priest we need. Because if the priest isn't perfect, the sacrifice isn't perfect. He's the perfect priest, so he can offer the perfect sacrifice. Do you see? We don't have to call into question his character. I hope he's doing a good enough job. I hope he's worthy enough. Because he is. Because he's God himself. Because he's holy and innocent and unstained and exalted in the heavens and separate from us. Now, this means that he can offer the perfect sacrifice, but, but more importantly, it means that he can offer himself as the perfect sacrifice. You see, these characteristics are not just a list of things that makes Jesus the perfect priest. They're the very things that make him the perfect sacrifice. Sacrifice is necessary, and we're going to come back to that in Hebrews chapter 9. And it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
that's really just the principle that whenever a wrong is committed, a price has to be paid. A wrong had been committed against God, and so a price had to be paid. And Jesus, who had no need to make sacrifices for himself, offered the sacrifice of himself. Jesus had no need to make sacrifices for himself. Instead, he offers the sacrifice of himself. And Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice when he gave himself up to die on the cross. And you might say, well, hold on, what do you mean gave himself up? Wasn't he uh, arrested and and captured and, and beaten and then tried and kneeled to a cross? Yeah, he was. But you better believe he let that happen. He could have stopped it. His breath only left his body when he decided it was time to give it up. He could have called thousands of angels come to defend him. The one who spoke life into existence is the only one with power to end it. At the cross of Jesus, what we see then is is, is not a murder, not an execution, but a sacrifice. At the cross of Jesus, we see the, the perfect priest offering up the perfect sacrifice for the perfect forgiveness of sins. In the temple, and I need to finish, but I want to paint this picture for a second. In the temple, um, there was a curtain that separated the people from the Holy of Holies, the very place where the presence of God were. In fact, they, the, 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 the temple had all these degrees of separation. The Holy of Holies just for the high priest, the, the inner court just for the priest, the outer court for the Jews, and then for the outer, outer court for the Gentiles and the unclean people. And when Jesus died, when he gave up his life, when he gave up his spirit, the Bible tells us, he said this, he cried out, it is finished. Salvation is complete. It's done. Nothing more to add. And the temple, in the curtain in the temple, was torn in two. This, temp- this curtain was as thick as that Bible. And it torn in two. Can you imagine all the priests going about their priestly business in the temple? Maybe somebody's cleaning, you know, a lampstand or something. And all of a sudden, this curtain rips in two. Can you imagine the fear they would have felt? Can you imagine that scene? The way into the presence of God was opened up so that anyone who believes on that sacrifice can go in. Access for all. Not just the Jews or the priests, but for all. And that means you. That means me. Maybe you think, well, this, this, this Christianity lark, this isn't for me. You know, it's good that other people have that to get them through the hard times, but it's not really for me. Oh, Jesus begs to differ. The curtain was torn in two so that all who believe may go in. Just come to God through Jesus today. And here's, here's what I want to finish with. Three little words I want to finish with. In, in verse 27, he has no need like those priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. Once for all. The, sacrifice, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they had to be repeated year on year on year. But the sacrifice of Jesus never has to be repeated. Why? Because he is a perfect priest who offers up the perfect sacrifice to make perfect forgiveness of sins. Yesterday, um, yesterday morning, uh, 
sitting having my coffee, and, and Finley, who's six, he, he turned to me and he said, Daddy, what are we doing today? And I said, well, I don't know, like, might wash the car. He said, Daddy, you washed it last week. And that is true, I did. I didn't end up washing the car yesterday. Um, but that is true, I did wash it. And I said, well, yeah, it gets dirty again. But here's the thing, when you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you never get dirty again. There is no need to, 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 for this sacrifice to be repeated over and over and over again. We don't have to try to add to it. We don't have to keep trying to make ourselves clean. Jesus completes our salvation. If you are in Jesus this morning, you never have to worry if you're really saved, if you really make it to heaven. Or how am I going to get through this difficult time? Because Jesus is guaranteed your salvation. He has promised it and followed it through. He has stepped in and paid your debt at great cost himself. And Jesus, not only that, he continues your salvation. He's always our priest, always with us, always praying for us, completing our salvation to the end. And Jesus has completed your salvation. His perfect sacrifice has fulfilled God's promise to make a way for people to draw near to him. Verse 25, I've been, I've been quoting it every Sunday the last three weeks, and, and, and here's my paraphrase of this. Because of all that we've seen in this chapter, Jesus is able to completely and utterly save anybody who comes close to God through him because he lives forever as our high priest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a high priest we have. You made this promise knowing the cost uh, to yourself and to your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, you always live to pray for us, to intercede for us. Lord, we know that we need it. We know that we're weak and feeble. We know that we're full of doubt. We're full of fear. Lord, we know that when we go through hard times, it can be so difficult to hold on to you. It can be so difficult to hold on to your truth. But Lord, we just want to praise you this morning that even uh, when we go through the times of darkness and the shadow of death, that, that you hold on to us. You keep us safe and secure. That, that you who have started a good work in us will see it through to completion. Lord, we long for you to return and complete your salvation work. Lord, we long for you to return and, and, and set your kingdom up right now to put an end to the pain and the suffering that we see around us. Lord, I, I just want to uh, bring before you everyone in our church this morning who is suffering, who's um, finding it hard to, to see the, the, the light. Lord, I pray that you would be close to them. Lord, may they know that you're praying for them right now in the very presence of God. Father, help us to live in the light of this. Help us to live as, as your people, knowing that you hold us, knowing that you live for us, knowing that you pray for us, knowing that you will never let us go. But we long for the day when you return. So we just uh, finish this thing by saying, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.